My name is Mneti, and I am part of the Willows family, but I'm in the evening service. Um, so originally, I am from Springs, and uh, I was part of Every Nation Campus Vits. And then I felt called to plant a campus ministry at Tswana University of Technology, and so I ended up moving to join this family last year. As we continue this morning our series in the book of Revelation and the Seven Churches, one thing I've noticed is that the culture of the city affected the culture of the church. We are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. So therefore, as royalty, there's certain things that we can't participate in simply because that's who God has called us to be. As a holy nation, there are certain things that we can't participate in because God has called us holy. He has set us apart for his glory. He has set us apart for his service. And so as we go in our day-to-day lives, we ought to be aware of this, that as royalty, how ought we to conduct ourselves on a day-to-day basis? As a holy people, as a people who are chosen, how do we conduct ourselves? As someone who was chosen by my wife, I know I can't just do any and everything during the week because I was chosen. I was set aside as her husband. So I can't interact with women any way I want. I have to be honoring, but the person who I honor the most is my wife. As people were set aside by God, we have to honor God first and foremost in everything that we do. So I hope that we are aware of the culture of our city so that we do not live as our city lives, but we live as people who honor God. Amen? Amen. And so... Uh, the church is the one that's supposed to restore the city to right worship. As Ruan spoke so, so wonderfully, is that we ascribe values to certain things. We see throughout these different churches, they ascribe values to different things, but they're not ascribing their value to God. Can we be a church that ascribes our value to God, that we hold God in, God in high esteem, that we value him about any and everything in our lives? And so this morning we'll be looking at uh, Revelations chapter 3 from verses 14 to 22. um, And this is the letter to the church in Laodicea. Could we please stand as we read the word? From verse 14. And to the angel of the church in, in Laodicea write the words of the Amen. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would hear what your Spirit is speaking to us. Holy Spirit, whatever we value more than we value you, I pray that we would lay that down at your feet so that we can value you for who you truly are. Father, I pray where we have kicked you out of our hearts, I pray that we would listen to you as you knock on the door of our hearts and want to enter again. I pray we'll be bold enough to let you in. I pray we'll be bold enough to surrender our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, just a few things about Laodicea. So Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Very, very wealthy. And Zeus was the city's um, god, that, the, that was the main god that they worshipped. And there were many other gods as well. The other gods that were, uh, that were worshipped are Apollo and, sorry, Asclepius. And that uh, god is the healing deity that they worship. It was also a fairly typical Greek city. It was quite religious, um, and it also had a, quite a number of Jews in that city as well. It was the commercial center, um, so they were well known for their textiles um, as well as their um, medical industry. So basically, if we were to compare Laodicea to a modern-day city, it would most, most probably look like Santon. Very wealthy, very affluent, um, and it is thriving uh, financially. Um, another thing about Laodicea is that they suffered an earthquake and they were so rich uh, as a city that they refused the government's help to rebuild and they just rebuilt the city themselves. That's how rich they were. They're also known as the lukewarm church. And another thing is that, you know, you hear about lukewarm um, and a lot of times in the church we say, no, you need to be hot um, and then we have an issue about being cold and we are going to clarify all those things this morning. Um, what does it mean to be lukewarm? What does it mean to be hot? What does it mean to be cold? I mean, to be cold. And so the first scripture we're going to be looking at um, is this one. Uh, the Can you go to the next slide? Yes, so that's where Laodicea is. And then next slide, please. Some more, please. <laughs> Until you get to a scripture. Yes, keep going. There we go. So from verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful, and true witness. I am the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So the first thing we know is that there is a water problem in Laodicea. And in scripture, a lot of the times, water is used to symbolize life. So recently, we've just had a, a water issue of our own, and the first thing that we are concerned about is what will we drink, what will we cook, because water is a source of life. And they had a water problem. So earlier on, I mentioned that they had an earthquake that completely destroyed the city. They refused the government's help, and that we are going to rebuild the city on our own, from our own resource, from our own wealth, with our own strength. And they rebuilt the city. 
But after they were rebuilding the city, there was an issue. They had no water, and so they built pipes um, from neighboring towns. So from the one town, they pumped in hot water because that town had natural hot springs. And then another town, some miles away, uh, they pumped in cold water uh, because that town had a lot of cold water. But what happened was, because of just the distance the water traveled, by the time the water got to Laodicea, the water was lukewarm, right? I'm sure you're saying, but there's nothing wrong with lukewarm. Some people actually enjoy uh, drinking lukewarm water. Some people actually enjoy showering or bathing in lukewarm water. The challenging thing we have with this lukewarm water is because of the pipes that they used, there were minerals that the pipes uh, infused with the water, and so the water became absolutely disgusting to a point that you could not drink the water. And one thing we ought to be aware of is that when we rebuild our lives in our own strength, there's only so much we can do. On the outside, we'll look pretty. On the outside, we'll look great. In this generation where our picture in terms of Instagram looking good, having the right hashtag, where that's the something that's important, even when people ask you, how are you? And you tell them, no, I'm good, I'm fine. But deep down, you know that you are not in a good place simply because you want to give off an appearance of righteousness, but you know in your heart you aren't righteous. When we rebuild our lives in our own strength, what suffers the most is the life. See, the water was infused with the minerals, so it was poisonous, it was toxic. And that's what self-sufficiency is. It is poisonous, it is toxic. And so then we have no life. We look good on the outside. We look like we have everything together, but there is no life, simply because we are self-sufficient. We are dependent on ourselves, and we are not dependent on God. Other churches in this book when God speaks to them, he commends them for something good, but God goes to this church and immediately rebukes them. He doesn't commend them for anything good because God truly finds self-sufficiency disgusting. And sometimes we want to bring our self-sufficient works. Sometimes we want to bring our lives as self-sufficient before the Lord, and the Lord truly finds it disgusting. The thing about cold water is that cold water is refreshing. The thing about warm, I mean, hot water is that it, it brings life, it brings restoration. So if you are cold or if you are hot, you bring refreshing, you bring life. In your relationships, do you bring refreshing? Do you bring life? Or are you lukewarm that lost people, when they interact with you, they are disgusted? The biggest challenge we have when we evangelize people, they say, I have an issue with the church because they proclaim a certain message, but the people live a life that is different. Lukewarm, the lost finds the church disgusting because of our self-sufficiency. This is something that we need to be aware of because in Christ we lay down our self-sufficiency and we receive him as Lord and Savior. Everything we do is from a finished work. There is nothing we can do to add to the gospel. There is nothing we can do to take away from the work of the cross. Even when Jesus died on the cross, he said, Tetelestai, meaning it is finished. There is nothing you can add. In my culture, we strongly believe in ancestors. And it's difficult evangelizing to my family because they say, no, God needs help. God does not need help because the cross is a finished work. And so the church in Laodicea looked at, this, at the city and they continued living like they don't have a God. But they have a God who gave it all for them. They have a God who completed a finished work. And so we have an opportunity this morning to repent of our self-sufficiency because it is truly disgusting 
to the Lord. Please hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying you are disgusting. I'm saying our self-sufficiency is disgusting. One of the, one of the ways in which I, I struggled as a young Christian coming up was like, Lord, I really want to get married. Who are, you, who are you calling me to marry? And I, I would get into relationships, and the people around me would say, no, don't get into this relationship. It's not for you. And I'd be like, no, don't worry. I've got this. And it ends up in chaos. And then I end up breaking up because I was just so full of sin. I was just such a mess. And then I'm reminded that, man, I made this decision by myself. I did not consult the Lord. I did not consult the people around me that God has placed. The reason why we're in Connect Group is not just for fellowship. It's so that we can hear the voice of the Lord through the people that God has placed around us. How many times do we not listen to our Connect Group leaders when they point something out in our lives and we think, yeah, I know it better. I've got it. That's self-sufficiency because you're trusting in yourself. Prayerlessness is another example of self-sufficiency. When we start our day without communing with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who micromanages the world, who knows every single detail of what's happening in the world, and we think we can figure out life on our own without praying. That's another way where we are self-sufficient. When we don't spend time in the Word, thinking that we can live on bread alone, but in Matthew 4, 4 it says, man shall not eat on bread alone, but from, the, from the, every word that comes from the mouth of God. The words that are in this book aren't just printed there for our entertainment, but this is food for our souls. This is nourishment for our souls, and we need this each and every single day. And as soon as we do life without spending time in this book, that's when we know we are self-sufficient because we are relying on ourselves to get things done. When you don't pray, when you don't hear from God before making a decision, you are relying on yourself. And, and, here's, and here's the thing about self-sufficiency, is that the fruit of self-sufficiency will show. It doesn't hide. The same way with the Laodiceans, they were self-sufficient, and the fruit of it is that it looks amazing, it looked great, but there was no life. They could not drink water. That is the fruit of self-sufficiency. There is no life. So again, when you share the gospel with your friends, when you share the gospel with your family and they reject you, the question you should ask, is there life in me? Are the people around me experiencing refreshing? Are the people around me experiencing healing and restoration? Because that is the true life of the gospel. Because when Jesus came, that is what people experienced. They experienced healing. They experienced refreshing simply because he had life in him. Amen. <laughs> so, the church was also self-reliant. In our next text, it says, it says the following, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. There's a lot of I statements in this text. I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. That's what self-righteousness does. We think that we can accomplish things in our own strength. 
we start to make a lot of I statements instead of giving glory to God. As soon as in your conversation and you're sharing a testimony and there's a lot of I involved, just pause and ask yourself, was God ever involved in that? Because when God truly comes through for you, it is impossible for you to take credit for anything because you know that it is God who did it, not I who did it. Last year, it was unfortunate that our daughter came, uh, was born at 27 weeks, and, there was a, and she was in hospital for about three, four months, and there was a time in the hospital where we didn't know if she was going to make it. It even got to a point where the doctors were like, it's too risky to operate, it's too risky to give her medication. So we have to sit back and do nothing. In that moment, I was powerless. My wife and I were so powerless, we didn't know what to do. But we turned to the Lord in prayer. We're like, God, if the doctors can't do anything, we know that you can do something. And miraculously, within a week, her health improved. When they kept scanning uh, her liver and they were checking there were these abscesses that were growing on her liver, they found that those abscesses were shrinking on their own without medication. No doctor can claim that they did that. We as a family can't claim that we did that because it is God who did that. It is God who brought healing and restoration in that moment. So there's no I statement that we can make in there. But how many times do we make an I statement? I led someone to the Lord. I did this. I started a business. How many I statements are we making? And are those things really inspired by the Lord? Was it something that was started by the Lord? Because when God does something in your life, you can't take the glory because you know it is God and you proclaim it everywhere you go. But the Laodiceans came and they started saying, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. How arrogant and how prideful were they to say that they even need nothing? But I love how the Lord hears all of that and then he reveals to them their true nature and their true character in terms of what's truly happening in your heart. The Lord calls them wretched. To be wretched means you are taking strain under the pressure of your life. You are in deep misery. There's a lot that is happening and you just can't find a way out. On the outside, everything might look well, but on the inside, there is a lot of strain because you weren't built to build your life. God is supposed to do that. They were pitiable. They were in need of God's mercy. We are all in need of God's mercy. Mercy is when God gives us something that we, do, we don't deserve, when we deserve his punishment. So because of our self-sufficiency, because of uh, of, doing, of being self-reliant and doing things by ourselves. We don't see that we need mercy. They are poor, meaning that they're spiritually lacking. It's possible to be rich. Not just rich financially, rich in relationships. How many people have said that, you know, they have friends around them, but they feel so lonely? Simply because there is a, a, a poverty in their relationships. You can truly be working and have a job but still have not enough to pay your bills. But you can say, I am rich, but you're still poor. But the, po the poverty that God is talking about here is a spiritual one. That spiritually, they are lacking. There is nothing in them. They can't give anything spiritually because their focus is on the material. They are blind, so they don't see their true spiritual condition. And the most important one is that they are naked. 
Imagine if I was standing here preaching to you guys naked. I would not be this confident simply because I'd feel so guilty. I'd feel exposed. I'd feel like there's a lot of shame that I need to come into hiding. When you are not clothed in Christ, shame lives because you know what people will see. All they'll see is your shame. All they'll see is your sin. All they see is, is your nakedness. And therefore, you end up hiding. I've had people in my connect group where they, they just don't want to bring their hearts simply because they are hiding their shame. We see in the Garden of Eden that when we were created, we were created naked and without shame. So shame is a result of the fall. But in Christ, we are clothed with Christ. And so when God sees you, he doesn't see your nakedness. He doesn't see your shame. He sees the righteousness for which Christ purchased for you. And that's what we have. And here's the thing about the Laodiceans. Because they were so rich and they had a booming textile industry, they were busy wearing Louis Vuitton, wearing Gucci, Balenciaga, and they thought, because I'm wearing these clothes, I look great in front of man. It's all good and well to look great in front of man, but what do we look like in front of God? Are we dressed in Christ? Because there's only two clothings in front of God. It's either you, you are dressed in Christ or you are naked. And when you are naked, you are exposed to God's judgment. The reason why we don't bring our sin, the reason why we hide our shame, is because we do not want to be judged by God. But we cannot escape the judgment of God because he sees all things. And so receive what Christ has done and wear his clothing. But here's what God offers us. God offers us true wealth in gold refined by fire. Gold refined by fire means it has no impurities. It has uh, no imperfections. It is gold in its purest form, and that is character. The only place where we can get true character is from the Lord. We can't develop our own character. It is only God who develops our character. And when, you, when God doesn't develop your character, what happens to your character? It is poor. In the Greek, uh, the, the, the word that they use for character is to uh, a coin where it has um, Caesar's character, his face on it. And so in order for character to be developed, it needs to be chiseled. It needs to be chiseled and formed. Are we allowing the Lord to chisel the imperfections of us or are we resisting him? Because it's only through Christ that we can have a good character. They also said the white garments. Christ wants to give us white garments. The, the, the popular textile that was uh, popular in Laodicea were black garments, simply because of the quality of wool that they had. So they wore these black garments, and God is giving them a contrast to say, that's, the, that's your earthly quality, but white garments provide purity. That when people see you, they don't see a stain, they see perfection, and they see Christ's perfection. They see Christ reflected back. And that's what we have in Christ. Instead of being naked, we can be clothed in white garments that he provides. And then anointed eyes, uh, which is grace, is that we'll finally be able to see properly. This city had their own um, eye salve, which is a very popular eye medication, eye medication, where people from around the world would come to buy it because it helped their eyes. Imagine if there were a people who prayed for healing and restoration through the Spirit. So when people come from around the world, they do not have to come for this medication, but they can come for God. What's our reputation as a church? 
It is very important that we are mindful of it because people far and wide will come for healing and restoration if we partner with what God is doing. And, and, and then it speaks about discipline, that God reproves those whom he loves. The, challenge, the tough thing about being a son is that you get disciplined. But discipline is good because it shows that you are loved and that you are cared for, that you have a father, that you belong. We are not orphans. In the Old Testament, God reveals himself through many ways, and he has many names. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tzikednu, Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Rofi. There's a lot of names. But in the New Testament, there is one name that God wants us to know him by, and that is Abba, Father. Because we are no longer orphans, but we are now sons and daughters in God. And because we are sons and daughters, God, re God uh, rebukes and disciplines us so that we can have the correct character, so that we can be pure, so that we can receive his grace. The sad thing about an ill-disciplined child is you see that the parents aren't doing anything about it, and you wonder, do the parents love that child? We are a people who are loved by Jesus and therefore be open to God's discipline. It is for your benefit. And the last scripture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And when I was preparing, um, David, could you please come? As I was preparing, I got this image of uh, an unfaithful spouse having dinner with uh, a mistress or a, a side piece. Let me say that. And as they were having dinner with the side piece, Jesus started knocking. And there was panic inside the house because they were wondering, where do I hide this person? What do I do with this person? But what will liberate us in that moment is recognizing that it is Jesus who is knocking at the door. And so when we open the door, we have to let the side piece out. And that side piece is our self-reliance. And so this morning, I want us to take a moment, just close our eyes and pray. With your eyes closed, I want you guys to picture your home or wherever it is that you stay. I want you to picture yourself sitting with your self-reliance. Do you have that picture in your mind? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal yourself to each and every single person right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that they would hear the knock at the door of their hearts. And I pray that they would be bold enough to open the door, let the self-reliance out, and let you in. So they may have true relationship with their heavenly Father. If there's any self-reliance that you need to repent of this morning, would you please put your hand up so we can pray with you. Thank you for all these hands. You can put your hands down. Father, thank you for all these hands. Thank you for that recognition to say they are dining with self-reliance. 
They are comfortable just doing things without you. And I pray that they would be bold enough to let self-reliance out and let you in so that you can be Lord, so that you can have authority, so that you can have control again. Father, I pray right now that you'd pour out your love into their hearts as you enter their hearts. In the name of Jesus, I pray. And another image of knocking at the door of someone's heart is that if you have never made a decision to have a relationship with God and you have been doing life without God because you haven't seen the need to become a Christian, I'd love to pray for you if you want to let Jesus into the door of your heart, I mean, into, into your heart and open the door for him. If that's you, could you put your hand up? I see that hand. Could you please pray after me? Lord Jesus, I'm tired of being self-reliant. I want to surrender my life to you and receive you as my Lord, Master, and Savior. Help me to love, serve, and obey you all the days of my life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.